0: So turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1, again last week in uh, Genesis 1 and we'll get on to Genesis 2 next week. And we'll continue our series looking at the origins, the foundation of the revelation of God. And as we head there, remember what I said right at the beginning of this series, that we are expectant of our Lord to teach us something new. So we want a Bible in our hands, Chris has got them at the back, if you don't have a Bible, he'll get you one, just stick your hand up nice and high, and he'll get one to you. But we're expectant that the Lord will teach us something new, we're expectant that the Lord will refresh our souls, and we're expectant to be challenged by what we read, thank you Mary, what we read and what we see in the Word of God. Over the last two weeks, we've learned that the creator God known as Elohim was the one at the center of all things. He did not need periods of time or expansive space, but he created all things in six days. We learned that his creation was good and it pleased God, and in every way it was perfect. Last week, we spent some time gazing at the beauty and the wonder that is the Almighty God speaking everything into being. As we seek to finish chapter one today, we also seek to finish and conclude day six of creation, the creation of mankind. Now, all of creation, all of this last two weeks has been building to this point, the pinnacle of God's creation. Not only will we see the character of God wonderfully displayed, But we'll also see the character of God reflected in mankind and I want you to know a couple of things before we begin we were created to live obey and glorify God we were created to live obey and glorify God and the second thing I want to say is a few weeks ago I said that we mean something to God We mean something because we're not random chance, but God created us in his design. Today, I want to say that we are precious to God. You can mean something to somebody, but that doesn't necessarily mean you are precious. But today, we're going to learn that we are indeed precious to God. So, let's delve in. We're going to head into verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping things that creeps on the earth. What we've learned in our last couple of weeks is that each new day and even within each day, creation begins with God speaking. And I want us to really have that in the forefront of our minds. This is not Moses speaking as he writes this is not me speaking as I try and read it out this is God speaking everything into being verse 3 6 9 11 14 20 and 24 all start in the same way and God said God was speaking things into being there is a sequential and chronological pattern to creation always starting with God and always finishing with completion In the same manner, the second half of day six begins with, then God said, and it's vital for us to each understand that nothing comes into being unless the creator God first speaks it into being. At the center of it all is God. Although like the other days, day six brings a whole new dimension to what we know about God and his character And how we understand him. And I want you to notice two phrases in verse 26. It's actually repeated a third time, but let us make after our likeness and our image. Incredibly, we understand this to mean that God is having a conversation. And I want you to get this. Don't lose the complexities here. Stay in the wonder of what Genesis 1 is. God is speaking things into being, and now God is having a conversation. That should encourage us when we come to prayer, because at the beginning of time, God was talking. In verse 3, we read the incredible moment where the voice of God is heard for the first time in Scripture, commanding light to come into being. And throughout each day, this divine voice calls out and all is created. Yet here in verse 26, this divine, calls out, divine voice calls out, but it's not a lone voice proclaiming across all of creation. Instead, we as created beings now get to have a backseat view of God having a conversation. Some have speculated that God is speaking to the angels, yet this doesn't make sense, for it is in the image of God that mankind is created, not in the image of angels. And I want you to cast your minds back two weeks. Do you remember that Elohim, the name for God in verse 1, means God who is one, yet more than one. I want you to cast your mind back to last week, and we learned in verse 2 that the Spirit of God hovered over all of creation, energizing it and igniting it so that it would come into order. And now today we have the Word of God that brings the command to create. And we know in John 1.14 that this Word, of course, is Jesus Christ. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. All this is to say that verse 26 gives us this wonderful glimpse of the triune God, the Father who speaks into being, the Spirit that energizes, and the Son, the Word, having a divine conversation. This is the first time that we see the triune God interacting with one another in Scripture. Yet we know that it continues throughout Scripture, wonderfully Matthew 3. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. In Genesis 1, we have a divine conversation, and in Matthew 3, we have a divine conversation. In understanding that this is the triune God interacting together, it's important that we actually look what the conversation is. Of course, we are to be lost in wonder that this is God talking, but we want to see what he's saying. And verse 26 tells us that the final act of creation was to make man the universal word for mankind or for human beings. And importantly, this final creation would be different from all of the land, all of the sky, all of the animals, and all of the seasons. For mankind would be in the image and after the likeness of the triune God. Now, it's true that many Christians have tripped up over this verse. So, let's just take time to understand the implications of this verse. First, take the word image. It reflects the source. Think of a mirror. It reflects what is before it, but it is never the source itself. Then take this word likeness, similar but not the same. I was trying to figure out how to um, explain this one, and th- this, is, this is the best I got to. Uh, think of my three wonderful girls. They are in my likeness in that they look like me, and each, you can see in them their characters. We won't say What characters you see in them, but you see some of my character in them. I praise Jesus. They're not the same as me, but they are in my likeness. The triune God has a conversation and deliberates and decides to create mankind as a reflection of the divine creator, but not the same, and have a similar, but not the same, attribute and characteristic. I want you to consider John four twenty four. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. If God is spirit, then we as mankind have been created to reflect that spirit, meaning we too have the spirit, which is similar but not the same as being God. Richard Belcher Jr. goes further, stating that we have moral capacity in knowing what is right and wrong. We have intellectual capacity in being able to understand and gather wisdom together, and we have spiritual capacity in that we are drawn to worship the Creator God and to bring Him glory. Therefore, in Richard Belcher's view, he states that we are similar to some animals, and maybe even look like some, but we are fundamentally different because we are made in the image and likeness of God. I don't have particular time to go into the various characteristics of God and how we share them in a similar manner, but if you do want to delve deeper into this, uh, head to our church website. Uh, We preached a a doctrine series recently through COVID. Uh, Look at the doctrine of God and the doctrine of man, and I go through those characteristics in in a fair amount of detail, and you can head to them and pick up on the similarities that we have uh, to God. But for now, head back to verse 26 and look at the second half. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. There are two specific commands that God gives mankind after he creates them. And we'll come on to the second in a few moments. But here in verse 26, we see that mankind is given dominion over all creation. That's right, dominion over the creeping things that creep. And if you know my house, we have. Stick insects. It was not my choice. My family got them without my permission. They're now in my house, and somehow I have dominion over creeping things in my house. But here in verse 26, we see that mankind has that dominion. And this word dominion ultimately means that mankind has power and authority to rule over created things. But it is not a freedom to exploit creation for our own good, but rather a responsibility, a command of God to take care and steward his creation. You see, God is preeminent over all things. He's the one in charge. Yet here he delegates some of that power and stewardship to mankind, created in his image to care for the land and all that inhabits it. I remember the statement I made at the start. We are created to live, to obey, and to bring glory to God. Mankind is to live in creation, obedient to the task of stewarding creation, and ultimately for the glory of God. Verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Verse 27 is expansive in two ways. First, like verse 1 it's a summary verse that is later detailed in chapter 2. But second, it's expansive in that the macro, the big picture, and the micro, the specific picture, are both given in one verse. See this, God created all mankind in His image, in the image of the triune God. That is the expansive, that is the macro, the big picture. But that humankind was created to glorify God in the micro notice this the second half of the verse we have the micro the specific male and female he created them god created all of mankind all of human beings the big picture and then in the smaller picture they were male and female to glorify the father again many many christians trip up over this verse for if male and female are created in the image of god does that mean that god is both female and male And in that, he must be both genders, and therefore he must have both a female body and a male body. And I think those that consider such an argument have actually misinterpreted what it means to be in the image and likeness of God. For it's not about the physical, it's about the characteristics, the attributes, the very being of who God is. More than that, we already know that John 4 tells us that God is indeed spirit, Therefore, verse 27, in the micro, in the specific of male and female, is not about the physical of God, but about the physical of humans. Wonderfully, God had a design for his creation, and that design was specific. And let me state very clearly here from verse 27. This is what we get from verse 27. Man is not woman, and woman is not man. This is God's creation, a perfect creation. God created, meaning he brought everything into being. And what he brought into being was two distinct genders, male and female. God's design was perfect. Sin hasn't touched the earth yet. It hasn't tarnished creation. So what we see is a fall away from that position after sin enters into the world. Which means in God's perfect design, he created us male and female. The Word of God is very clear. Two genders in creation. And we hold to that because the Bible is the final authority on all matters as the living Word of God. The world, however, rejects such a creation and such a design. The world rejects two distinct genders in a world of tolerance and inclusiveness. But for the believer in Christ, it is not loving to let the world continue to believe that this tolerance and inclusiveness of a multi-gender society is not indeed sin that comes from Genesis 3 onwards. Because the perfect and holy standard of God in creation was male and female to glorify God. In a sinful world of multigender inclusiveness, we as the church, the people of God, have to stand on what is true, what is eternal. We have to hold to two distinct genders, as per God's perfect creation, because Scripture has the final authority. And when we hold to the authority of Scripture on every matter, not just specifically in relation to gender, we can also see one of—and notice that—one-off the purposes of this design, which is to glorify God. Some of you will find that hard. This is what Scripture tells us. Verse 28, and God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. How wonderful to read that God blessed male and female, his unique creation. Do you know that today, if you are a woman, by God's word, you are blessed? Do you know that if you're a man, by God's word, you are blessed? As society finds and fights to get that meaning of life, and an ever confusing, inclusive world. Everyone can be what they want to be. It doesn't matter. You get to choose. We can sit in the wonder of Genesis 1 and say, who am I? I'm a man of God. I am blessed by his word. I'm a woman of God, and I am blessed by his word. We don't need to search for meaning, folks. It's already there you have meaning you have purpose the creator god saw to it that as woman and as man you will be blessed but he gives a second command and a reminder of the first command that he expects his creation to obey and he gives a second command man and women were to go into the world and multiply in number so that they would fill the land and bring glory to god they were to care for the world they lived in for the land and for the animals and they were to fill it and through all of this, God in all of his splendor would be glorified. And let me say this on the flip side. If we can say that man and woman are blessed by God, that man and woman are to take care of creation, that man and woman are to fill the earth, and all of this means glory to God, we can say on the flip side that it is not God glorifying for us to not take care of the world. It is not God-glorifying for us not to seek to care for children, whether it be in a blind school in Bangladesh or Monks Abbey Primary School. And it is not glorifying to God to have homosexual marriage and families. You cannot have god glorifying family unless you have a God-glorifying Scripture as your foundation. And that foundation, in God's design, is a heterosexual couple raising children to know God. So, we see here in verse 28 that a heterosexual couple multiplying number to create people for the glory of God. That is God's plan. But what about single people? What about those who struggle to have children? Does this mean that they are in disobedience to the command of God if they don't get married and they don't have children? I think we need to understand that we're in a post-sin of Genesis 3 world, and we're in a post-resurrection of Jesus world. We can honor this command, even if it doesn't mean having children of our own. I want you to look at Ephesians 1. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. What is to the praise and glory of God? What is our vision? To make and grow disciples in Jesus. We bring glory to God when we welcome into the family a child of God, whether that be through birth of our children and subsequent conversions, or through evangelism, or through the prayer of our children in junior church, or through setting an example for others to see and to fall at the feet of Jesus. When we lead people of any age— To Jesus, there is a child of God welcomed into the family and it is for the glory and praise of God. I may have three children, but God chose in his divine plan to cause some struggles along the way. And for the first few years, there was many, many a tear shed as we thought we wouldn't have children. And there was a lot of praise to God when the medical teams found a way But whether you're single, whether you're married, married with no children, married and can't have children, married and struggling to have children, married and have good children, married and have bad children, we all seek to bring glory and honor by being a witness to the gospel message so that the kingdom of God would be filled with children of God. Let's keep moving. Um, I I knew today's service would (laughs) take a while, but let's keep moving. Verse 29. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I've given every green plant for food. And it was so. I think one of the most dreadful things that was caused by the sin of Genesis 3 is the disparity across our world, our country, even our city, of those who have and those who have not. I want you to see in verse 29 and 30 that this disparity is sinful. For God gave every creature, all of mankind, all they needed to survive. But more than that, it was a bountiful provision so that they would thrive and they would multiply and they would be fruitful throughout the earth. There was no such thing as haves and have-nots. It was simply God providing for all of the world's needs and his creation entirely satisfied without struggle. The world that God created had complete equality and parity. Verse 31, and God saw everything that he made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. With the creation of mankind, both male and female, and the commission to steward the world and multiply in number, God surveyed his creation and declared, and I want you to notice this, that it was very good. In each of the other days, it was good. But here at the end of the creative cycle of day six, he declared it very good. It wasn't just good, it was very good. It wasn't very good, it was very good to have male and female. It was very good to steward the earth. It was very good to multiply and fill the earth. God spent six days creating everything and he declared it very good. In this one simple phrase, we can refute the day age theory, the analogical day theory, and the literary framework theory. Because each of these theories dictate that there is decay and death because there's large periods of time prior to Genesis 3. And to allow for that expanse of time, there is no six literal days. But for God to declare that all is very good, either means that decay and death are very good, and therefore brings the entire salvational plan of God completely falling into collapse, or just maybe decay and death don't happen until the Word of God tells us it happens in Genesis 3. And therefore, God can do six literal days and say, this is very good. Folks, that's us come to the end of chapter one. You don't need to have a round of applause this time, Ola. But that's us come to the end of chapter one. Let me give you three quick things because I don't want you just to just have knowledge. I want you to have wisdom to be able to take it into your lives uh, this week. And so, here's point number one. Through Christ, live reflecting the character of God. Today, you are an image bearer and you carry the image of God. As women, you are blessed. As man, you are blessed. Today, you are like someone, and that someone is God. As Christians, we're called to live a life that reflects that truth. We're to deny what tarnishes that image and likeness, and we're to pursue what enhances and shines out that image and likeness. And Let me ask today, and, and don't openly answer this, just answer this in your own heart, What do you reflect? When people look at your life, how you speak, how you act, do they see you reflecting God? When people ask what you're like, does your answer point to the likeness of God or to the likeness of someone or something else? Apathy is a dreadful thing in the Christian world. And many Christians behave in such a way that shows they don't really care who or what they point to. Yet the creation narrative sets before us a reality. We are image bearers. Therefore, as Christians, we must seek to bear a true image of the creator God. In creation, God saw what was good. Do you see the goodness in others? Are you always looking for the faults? In creation, God provided for all our needs. Do you seek to help others or do you keep it for yourself? In creation, God saw to it that the world would flourish. Do you seek to let creation flourish or could you care less about what is happening to our land? In creation, God commanded and expected obedience Do you obey or do you live how you please? When you look at Scripture and you see the characteristics and attributes of God, in these things we are to live with the ultimate focus for the glory of God. And the second point I want to make is be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. This world proclaims inclusiveness. Everyone can live in the way they choose and you cannot argue with it, for that would not be inclusive. We have got to the stage that just a few days ago the Court of Appeal ruled that under 16s can have the capacity to give informed consent to take puberty blockers allowing them to identify as different genders. Yet as Christians if we dare speak against it we are persecuted, maligned, attacked, bullied. Worse still there are Christians in their apathy the authority of scripture that have allowed gender fluidity and sexual preferences to enter the church, changing how scripture is viewed and how the church stands. Brothers and sisters, it is time for the church to be strong and courageous. God created man and woman, two distinct genders, and he blessed them. Man and woman were created to be in heterosexual relationships, and through this relationship would glorify God by their actions. This is the truth of the Word of God, and this is His design. So, we need to be strong and courageous. We need to not slip into appeasing this world. We already know from John 15 that the world's going to hate us because they already hated Jesus and the authority of what He spoke about. But we're not to shrink away because of the potential attack We're not to hide because people might start throwing mud because we dare stand on the truth of God's word. Instead, we're to stand on the rock that is Jesus Christ and His word, strong and courageous, and declare the truth. And we do so in all gentleness that we can muster through the power of Christ. We may lose our jobs. We may lose our friends. We may lose our safety. And maybe even as your pastor, I will go through challenge upon challenge because I dare say it. But this is what we were commanded to do. Glorify God in the truth. Therefore, we proclaim here at Lincoln Baptist that we celebrate God's creation. We celebrate a man who is blessed, a woman who is blessed, the union of man and woman coming together, which is blessed, and for heterosexual families growing in their knowledge of Jesus Christ. And we celebrate that, we proclaim that, and we live by that. Third and finally, Seek parity by grabbing hold of opportunity. Seek parity of grabbing hold of opportunity. I was saying to Miriam, we all know what disparity means, on unequalness, those who have and those who have not. Have you noticed that in our language we never talk about parity? Because there is no such thing in our world. It's a word, it's in the dictionary, look it up, parity, equalness. We only ever talk about disparity. Because it's one of those things we just don't see anymore. It is simply not right that there's those that have and those that do not have. This is not the what God created, designed, or desired for the world to be. Disparity is the work of sin. Parity, meaning equality, is what's glorifying to God. Yet seeking parity is not enough. We must do something about it. As the church, we have opportunity to do more than just talk. We have opportunity to act. Uh, Let me give you two very distinct examples, and with these I'll finish Monk's Abbey Primary School, as I mentioned earlier, called upon this this church to serve its community and the 400 odd pupils that are there. There are children in our community who don't eat breakfast on a regular basis. Many parents simply do not have the money to provide for three meals a day. The school has seen disparity of those children coming that have had breakfast and those who have not. And during this past week, we as the church have been called upon to do something about it. We can talk about how awful that is as we munch through our Cheerios or whatever it may be. And how terrible that it is that society is like this. Or we can actually do something about it. For God created his world to provide for our needs and we as the church have opportunity. So next week, bring your breakfast items to our harvest service. You remember what I said is a bountiful provision that God gives. It is bountiful and overflowing. Let us never, ever, ever be known as the that-will-do church mentality. Let us be outrageous and give to these children. Let us do more than talk. Let us do something about it. For every child, every family, every individual in the Monks Abbey Primary School, Rota should know that they mean something to God and they are precious and we are that image to them. We reflect God. And so please do bring a generous and bountiful amount next Sunday, and to His glory, we give that. Secondly, and uh, I'll do this as as politely and gentle as I can, it is often the case in the church that 5% of people do 95% of the work. In the last two or three weeks, there has been two or three individuals that have been on about five rotas on a Sunday morning. Those rotas are tea and coffee, junior church, host team, worship team, cleaning up afterwards team, sweep the car park team, whatever you wanna call them. And they do it because they love you and they love King Jesus. They do it without complaint because they love you and they love King Jesus. But that is not parity. If you are not on a rota, there is a job for you somewhere on a Sunday morning. If you like being more focal and more outgoing, let's get you on the front door welcoming people into church. If you like background work, come early to church and sweep the front of the car park or get the teas and coffees ready along with Stephen. But let us not having a few of our church family burning out because we would rather live in a post-Genesis 3 sin world than in a creative design where there is parity over all things. Let us bless one another as we honor God and we give Him glory. And how glorifying that would be to God, that we can say that every single person as part of this church has a job to do. That person prays for the speaker. That person prays for the worship team. That person gets the sanctuary ready. That person does tea and coffee. That person does junior church. That person gets the car park ready. That person gets online church ready. What a blessing that would be instead of that person does everything, and these come and complain about it. Let's change mentality, folks. Let us be a Genesis 1 church, and with that, we complete Genesis 1. Let me pray, and I'll invite, as I pray, our worship team to come back up. Father, I thank you so much that we can go through at Genesis 1. I thank you for people like Henry Morris, who have helped to break down Genesis 3, 1 through 50, Father. Thank you so much for his wisdom and his understanding. And Father, I thank you for what you have taught us today. Refresh our souls, Father. Renew our minds. Change the way we think. Let us not be about disparity. Let us be about parity. Let us know that as man we are blessed, as women we are blessed. Let us not seek for empty meaning in this world. Let us seek for the meaning of God in Genesis 1. And Father, we are going to be bold and courageous, which means we know for a certainty Satan is readying his attack but father king jesus has victory death couldn't hold him sin could barely even touch him and so in the name of jesus we pray we will be bold and courageous this week in your name amen